Amen. He does. If you have your Bible tonight, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew, the ninth chapter, uh, beginning in the 37th uh, verse. I would like for you to do something else. I've looked in about five different translations, and I can't find these words, and I'm trying to figure out which translation this is in. If you will look in verse 40 of uh, Matthew 13, uh, I want to come to that in just a minute. I'm looking for the translation that has the word stumbling block. I looked in all the Bibles up here and all the Bibles over there, and I couldn't find it. Well, uh, our text tonight is, begins in verse 37. Uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus uh, continued to give his motives for ministry. You know, we all do things for a reason. We all have motives why we do the things that we do and how we do the things that we do. We have motives. There are compulsions that are within us. You could call it motive, compulsion, whatever you'd like, but we all have that. Uh, Jesus wants his motives for ministry to be clear to his disciples. Jesus ministered not only because it was his nature to be compassionate, but because the people had a deep need. He also ministered because they faced God's final judgment. Now, the parable of the wheat and tares that Jesus spoke about where there were the two plants uh, being allowed to grow together in the harvest, the wheat and the tares. You remember what happened to the tares? They were bundled up and they were thrown into the fire in uh, Matthew thirteen thirty. Uh, in his explanation of that parable, Jesus said, and this is where we're in uh, verses 40 through 42. Um, in his explanation of that parable, parable, Jesus said, Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. Now, if you have stumbling blocks, would you raise your hand? Does anybody have that? Is a written stumbling block in your Bible? Anybody? I don't see one person in here. We've got all kinds of Bibles in here. Well, I wanted to talk about stumbling blocks for a minute or two tonight. I can't find it in any of the translations, but... Uh, uh, that's um, what the commentary says, so I wanted to uh, deal with it. What do you think it takes for someone to be a stumbling block? Do you think it has to be somebody that is lost? Do you think that it has to be, um, you had a stumbling block in yours? What is it? New American Standard. New American Standard. That's a good translation. Um, it's really closer to the, to the Greek. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. When I was in college, there was a little town outside of uh, Dallas uh, called Terrell, Texas. And First Baptist Church in Terrell, Texas, I had some friends that went there. And 
there was a man in that church, I never met him, there was a man in that church that voted against every single motion that was given in that church for 50 years. He voted against every single thing. And uh, somebody one day asked him, said, well, why, why did you vote against that? You're the only one that voted against it. He said, well, I don't think any motion is perfect. He said, uh, you know, you need to have somebody voting against it. And I thought, well, that guy is a looney tune. <laughs> you know, he is a real nut. Well, you know, as I got older, uh, this is my eighth church that I've served in. I have found in every church uh, there has been someone that whatever I was for, they were against. If I had been against it, I think they would have been for it. Uh, you know, it's just that clear. In my last church, there was a very distinguished lawyer who was a very smart man. He was uh, in the uh, state legislature. He was uh, some guys in the state legislature were into some crooked business, and they called him in, straighten it out. They said he was a deep water Baptist, and they wanted him to come in and kind of straighten it out. And so he went, and he was probably the leading citizen in Plant City. And he uh, was against every single motion, every single thing that I wanted to do in that church. He was a deacon. He'd been chairman of the deacons. He was really a strong Christian guy. But for some reason, he was against every single thing that uh, I felt like would uh, grow our church and lead more people to Christ. Well, now look at this word stumbling block. Those two guys had trusted in Christ, had believed, had been baptized, had a long history in Baptist churches of serving the Lord. And yet, they were against everything. And you wonder, well now, were they stumbling blocks? You see, this, the gist here is that the stumbling blocks are going to be gathered out. They're going to go uh, to hell. They're going to be gathered out. And uh, as I've read this, as I've studied this, uh, I've tried to figure out what would be your definition for a stumbling block? Uh, you know, in Jesus' ministry, uh, some of the disciples were well-meaning. You remember uh, some of the disciples upon occasion would try and correct Jesus and say, no, you don't want to do that. You want to do this. You remember? And, uh, you know, they, in some ways, were stumbling blocks. So... My problem is I'm trying to reconcile the fact that there are believers who, by my definition, are stumbling blocks who are not going to be gathered out and burn in hell. And that's what the text here in the original language seems to say. Those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell. Well, the parable includes the truth that the harvest will bring the righteous 
unto eternal blessing in verse 43. But the emphasis here is clearly on judgment. And, you know, sometimes um, we overdo the uh, judgment thing. You know, whenever we have the word hell in our uh, sign out there, every time I see that, I think to myself, you know, the people that are lost are going to drive by and they're going to say, those Baptists, they are so narrow. They are so uh, hard. They are so mean. They're so nasty. They're so belligerent. Uh, they're not open-minded. They're not this. They're not that. My philosophy has always kind of been to, to get to know somebody, to visit with somebody, to build a relationship with them, to talk about heaven with them. Uh, to encourage them to want to go to heaven. And then, as you begin the kind of witness uh, about their soul, to say along the line, after they're kind of with you, you know, you don't start out with, you either do what I say or you're going to hell. You don't, that isn't your lead line. Uh, so, you know, I try and bring that in a bit later in the uh, procedure that uh, uh, goes. Well, here uh, it says that the uh, folks that commit lawlessness, you know, I've had a number of people in churches where I have served in prison that I knew for a fact had made a profession of faith and had been baptized, had served in the church, and they kind of got off whack somewhere and did something that they were caught up in a few years ago in Arizona, I was pastoring out, out there, and they had an um, Arizona uh, Baptist convention. And they had a group of fellows that uh, invested your money. And, of course, in doing that, they had to have a real strong uh, portfolio about how they had grown. And so they invested in a lot of land, and then land went south. And so they were in the red. And so rather than report that, they just kind of overlooked it. And uh, two or three of them went to jail. And sure enough, about the time the, the court case came up, uh, what happened was exactly what they said would happen. And these land values would go back up and the money would make a lot. But they still went to jail. Well... You know, you, you look at this, and you don't want to be um, nasty. You don't want to be uh, judgmental. Uh, you know, we all have known people that are on the wrong side of everything. Everything. Doesn't matter what it is. They're against it. Uh, I remember when we started using uh, screens. Were you all in a church where uh, half the people said, we don't want screens. We hate screens. Were you ever in a church like that? A lot of you are shaking your hand, shaking your head. Uh, you know, well, now, in almost every church in the country, there's screens. And, you know, it helps people to look up rather than looking down at a hymnal. It helps them to look up, and it's really better. But, uh, you know, most, uh, some people in uh, some churches, most of the people were against it. Uh, when it started. Uh, 
Well, Jesus ministered compassionately and tirelessly because he could see the ultimate consummation of divine judgment toward every person in the multitude who was headed in a way of not trusting the Lord. That's the bottom line. You don't trust in the Lord. If you don't confess your sins, uh, then you're uh, going to go to hell. Uh, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It's easy to lose awareness of the imminence and the inevitability of God's judgment. The Christian who loses sight of that. And you know what? We're all guilty of that. Tonight, if we were to give everybody here some kind of a truth serum, and we were to ask everybody here, are all of your grandchildren Christians? And and then uh, we found out whether they were or not, And then we ask the penetrating, difficult question, have you ever tried to lead them to the Lord? You see, when you read passages like this one tonight that talks about eternal judgment, about being cast into a lake of fire, it's a a very, very difficult text. And so many people, you know, they love their grandchildren. They played with them when they were babies. They went to see them when they played ball and when they were in the ballet and when they did this and when they did that. But the grandparents, who are great Christians, never really found out where they stood with Jesus. And that's the most important thing. That is the most important thing that we can do. There's nothing any more important than that. Well, uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he taught them and preached to them and healed them, all for the ultimate purpose, that they might come to him in faith and escape the harvest of judgment that could not otherwise uh, be avoided. And, and that's the kind of, that's the bottom line. That's where, uh, you know, it comes down to the difficult point in our uh, relationships with family and close friends and uh, folks like that. Look at the second half of verse 37. But the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The primary po- problem that hindered Jesus' ministry, as he taught, as he preached, as he healed, was the same problem that hinders us today. The workers are few. The workers are few. Now, there are a lot of things that, uh, that we do in this church. As I've said a couple of times, I'm real proud of the people that are doing Meals on Wheels. I'm real proud of the people that on the day when everybody gathers over, uh, what I don't know what the name of that is, uh, the day when all the guests come and everybody eats out and all that stuff. Uh, some of our people are real faithful to promote our church, to give out this, to give out that. 
And I think that's great. That's wonderful work. And, you know, we could name a hundred more things that we do. Our music folks go and sing at these things uh, in Sun City, and uh, that's great. But, you know, the, the thing here is very, very pointed. Uh, we, we need to realize that the workers are few, and what he's talking about here is sharing the gospel. He's not talking about all the different things that we do. Now, if you do Meals on Wheels with the obvious uh, point to it that you're going to try as best you can to lead some of those people to the Lord, if you're doing music somewhere and the obvious point of that is to get good PR for our church so that people will come and be led to the Lord, see, if, if whatever you're doing in ministry and helpfulness, if you're doing it with the point of helping people to the Lord, then it takes on a different quality, and it's, a, it's much higher in the rankings, if you will, of what Jesus was trying to do with his disciples. The workers are few. Now, this morning, we had a tremendous crowd here. What do you think would have happened if I had said, how many of you here today in the last seven days, the last, this last week, have talked to somebody uh, about becoming a Christian. How many of you here in the house have done that? Well, I don't know how many people would raise their hand, uh, but that's the kind of the primary thing that the Lord wants us to do. The workers are few, and he's talking about workers that are doing that that are sharing the gospel, that are pressing the claims of Christ, that are doing what some would say would be the, the hardest thing. Those are the things that we as the people of God need to have in our prayer life and in our daily walk, you know, that we are trying as best we can to do that. Even as the Son of God, uh, Jesus could not reach all the people that lived in his own country uh, or in his own lifetime, the first part of his training method, therefore, was to give his disciples the insight that the need for the gospel to be brought to a world headed for judgment uh, was paramount, was very, very important, was right up there at the top about what we ought to be about. In his own days on earth, Christ's workers were few. Uh, you know, today, the ones that are doing what we're talking about are few. Uh, I had a, a man at a church in Dallas that uh, I think I've told you about him before. He would, he would go somewhere and get a job, and he would witness to literally every person that worked there, one-on-one. -on -one. And eventually, he would press the case pretty hard, and somebody would complain, and he wouldn't stop. He'd keep it up, and they'd fire him. But by that time... He would have led a number of people to the Lord. And then he'd go get a job somewhere else. And it, it didn't bother him at all to be fired. He would go to the next place, and he would do the same thing. And then he, eventually he would get fired for doing that. And then he would go get a job somewhere else. And he had done that for 25 years. And I, you know, I, at first I kind of thought, well, you know, I bet he is a nut. And I got to thinking about it, 
And I, you know, I tried to kind of work my way through that. And I realized that he was leading more people to the Lord than I was. So he wasn't a nut. He was a, a real strong disciple of the Lord. And he was doing the basic thing that Christ wants us to do in our passage uh, tonight. Well, uh, the next step in Jesus' method is prayer. His disciples are to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Christ's workers are to pray for more workers. Now, Brother Ed, one of the things that we ought to do on Wednesday night is to pray for more workers, for more people that will do the kind of work that's in our text tonight. The Lord of the harvest is a title of God that represents his role as judge, as judge. The Lord of the harvest is the judge of the unsaved who will stand before him on the last day. The Christian's first responsibility is not to go out and start working just as quick as they hear about something that needs to be done, but to come to the Lord in prayer. Waiting on the Lord is a crucial part of serving him. It is interesting and significant that Jesus did not command the disciples to pray for the lost. You notice that in the text? Although that is certainly appropriate. Their first prayer was to be for the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into the harvest. Lord, please send out some more. Now, it's possible to pray regularly for the salvation of a lost relative or a lost neighbor, a lost friend, uh, whatever it might be, uh, and to let our concern stop with our prayer. You know, we feel like, well, I prayed for him. Well, uh, the prayer of a, of a righteous man availeth much, I know that. But I think we need to take the next step or two. We need to kind of move on down uh, the line. When we earnestly pray for the Lord to send someone to the unsaved people, we cannot help but become open to the fact that that someone might be us. You know, if we're praying that way, uh, we might feel then the sense of God urging, nudging, uh, prodding us uh, toward doing it ourselves. It is possible to pray for someone's salvation and keeping them at an arm's length, keeping them, you know, that far away. Well, but when we sincerely beseech the Lord to send someone to witness to them, we place ourselves at his disposal. And many times, of course, the Lord will send us to go and visit with, talk with, witness to the person that we're praying for. It's so easy to be used of God. I was real proud of our ladies today. They helped in this funeral service. They did a good job. The room looked great. The punch was great. There were cookies all over the place. It was really nice. I was proud of our church. I was proud of them. They did a good job. I was proud of our ministers. 
We have an unbelievable team of ministers here in our church. I mean, we, we just, it's just unusual that God would put uh, the ministers that we have on staff here in the same place at the same time. I mean, every night I, I go home and I'm real thankful that these folks are not only representing the church and representing the Lord, but they're also representing each one of us. And I hope you're as proud about that as I am because they are doing a, a great job. It's easy to be used of God. There is a spiritual need in every direction. You know, when you go to the hospital, uh, there's a spiritual need there. When you go to the nursing home, there's a spiritual need there. When you visit your neighbor, when you get with the people that are on your team, whatever the team is, or when you get with the folks that are in your homeowners association. You know, we have people in our church that are at every level of these homeowners associations. What we've got to do is we have got to use those kind of venues as a tool for us to represent Christ uh, to our uh, neighbors, to the folks that live in Sun City Center. We've got to use whatever methodology we have at our disposal to present him. That's the, that's the call of our text tonight. We have people that are going to hell. And we need to stand up and say, okay, I love my grandchildren. If I love them enough, I ought to say something to them. I ought to witness to them. I've gotten to love my neighbor next door, but I've never talked to him about the Lord. I've gotten to love the people in my club or on my ball team or whatever it might be, but I've never talked to him about the Lord. One of the great things that uh, Bill Milliken did in this town was on the ball teams, uh, he led a lot of those people to the Lord. And I'd, I've always uh, thought that that was a great thing. Well, the Gebauers in our church recently uh, led this lady out of a Jewish background uh, to the Lord. And, uh, you know, we're, we're finding more and more people that are coming forward in our church to uh, make public their profession of faith in Christ, the lady this morning. You know, that's, uh, I'm sure, what makes our Lord smile. And that's what uh, we ought to be about. That's what our text is about tonight. Well, for heaven's sakes, let's don't be a stumbling block. Let's, uh, let's try and, and go with it. Let's try and help in every way that we can to reach more people, to touch more lives, to lead more people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to sing a hymn. I'm going to stand down at the front. If tonight would be the night that you'd like to publicly profess your faith in Christ, that would be great. That would just make this day. If there's somebody that would like to come and join the church, be a part of our fellowship, our family, that would be great. If you'd like to come, you know we, we don't do this very often, but if you have a real major prayer concern, why don't you come and kneel at one of these uh, pews here at the front and one of our staff will come over and pray with you. Uh, however the Lord would lead you tonight, I just pray that you would uh, be open to it. Let's stand as we sing together.
Jesus, Lord and Savior.